Good morning. Hallelujah, what a good God. I'm very excited about the word today. Today's a big day for me. I'm going to be, my daughter is doing something extremely convenient that I am so grateful for. She's getting married without a wedding. Uh, she's not eloping, which again, I'm very thankful for. Um, but she is, she has no bridal attendance. She is, does not want any decorating. Um, she's getting married after a Sunday night service. So I have got it so easy. And yet, <laughs> I'm just really, I think it's just the natural part of your child getting married. I just, I just, there's, so, there's, I just mourn often throughout the week. And um, so this Saturday, I have a tea. I'm doing a bridal tea for Morgan. Morgan does not want a bridal shower. You know, I raised my daughter very purposefully to be unique. I did not realize I was <laughs> raising her to be this unique. <laughs> but she is. I raised her to be this, so I have nothing to complain about. Um, but my point is this tea this Saturday um, is the only wedding-ish thing that I have to do. So today I'm very focused on getting things ready for tomorrow's tea. Um, and it turned out today's chapter didn't have a ton of um, like extra study, extra verses to find, extra research. So anyway, I think this will be faster than usual. I shouldn't say that because, you know, stuff happens. Um, so we're at February 17, reading Matthew 17. And I I very much want to talk about this this right here. Because when we work for God, we, you know, it is part humility and part the enemy working against us that we withhold ourselves from doing a work for the Lord. We can say we're too old, we're too young, um, we're not well enough trained. There are so many things that we it, that we use to pull ourselves away from being extra close to the Lord and doing the Lord's work. Uh, yesterday, I told somebody who was feeling that way, you know, that I'm not good enough. I'm like, suck it up, buttercup. None of us are good enough, but we're all out here working hard. <laughs> To do the Lord's will, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do with all your might as to the Lord. So just go do a work for the Lord. But I love this very much. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart. Um, there's a couple of things I want to point out about this fact that, you know, he, he chose 12 um, but only three for this situation. Um, we find, I don't think we read this in, um, in this, in Matthew, I don't remember, but I know that when he went to heal the, um, the 12 year old girl who had died, um, he also only took Peter, James and John in with him. 
And there are some things that the crowds will not do. And it's not that Jesus likes these people more than others. He is, however, drawn to people trusting him enough to step out of their comfort zones. You know, we talked a few weeks ago about um, about how God hides himself, not weeks, I think days. Anyway, <laughs> I've lost track of time about how God hides himself. And just like we in friendships, we don't come right out of the chute saying, this is all I am. This is everything about me. We have learned through pain of rejection and hardship that we should reveal things about ourselves when we can trust those people to know those things. And, you know, Peter, for all of his flaws, where did I write? Oh, right here on the same page. Peter is still a flawed human. <laughs> for all of the flaws of Peter. And, you know, we even see in the book of Acts, Peter still being a flawed human. And he had a situation where um, he was chit-chatting with the Gentiles. And the, the King James Version just calls them the uncircumcised, the uns, of the uncircumcision. So Peter's chit-chatting with them. But as soon as the Jewish people who were still following the law and were circumcised walked in, Peter left the Gentiles and went and hung out with only Jews. And Paul said, I withstood him to the face. And he had some hard words to say to Peter. So Peter, we see it all through the all through the gospels. Peter is always spouting off at the mouth. But you know why Jesus loved that about him? Because Peter trusted Jesus enough to be that person, to be his real self. He didn't put up any fronts with Jesus. He did not put up any fronts with Jesus and when God can trust us to not put up fronts, to be our real selves with him, then he takes us to more private, intimate situations. So I, I wrote down the unique things about these people. Peter and James, they are siblings. They are brothers. And we know that Peter is loud and bold all the time. He's loud and bold when it comes to teaching the gospel. And he's loud and bold when it comes to saying the wrong thing. <laughs> but he trusts Jesus enough to be himself. And so even though he doesn't always say the right thing, he receives correction consistently. And when we see we receive correction, we can be trusted. And, and that goes beyond even Jesus. That goes into also the leadership of the church. When, when they have something to bring to us, that's not an easy thing to bring something to someone and say, you know, you need to behave differently about this or the way you approached this wasn't correctly or the way you taught that wasn't accurate. We need to be able to receive correction. And that is what we see from Peter. Like David, like King David, he, he, he blew it many times, but he's received correction. 
James, Peter's brother, the first time we see Peter displaying any piety was when Jesus said, follow me. But James, Peter's brother, had been pious. And what I mean by pious, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that he had been seeking after the things of God before Jesus even came on the scene. James was a disciple of John the Baptist. And James is the one who brought Peter to Jesus. And so the fact that James of his own accord sought out the things of God so much so that he was a disciple of John and, and he is, he's not bold. We don't, we, we, I don't know what we know of him that he said for sure. What we know is that Herod, um, he was beheaded and because he was beheaded and, and, uh, the people liked it, they arrested Peter and they, he planned to behead Peter too. And God rescued Peter. But we know that we don't know what James said. But what we do know about James is that he had been a, a very active pursuer of the things of God. And then John, his personality is to be everybody's bestie. He's just, you know, he's, he's the one who wrote the gospel of John. He's the one who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He writes about love all the time. Um, he, when at the Last Supper, he's the one who has his head laying on Christ's uh, chest. He's like, he's, he's a cuddle bug. He, he is no, and by the way, that we live in a, in a current day that um, if a man is is tender towards another man, it, it almost seems like homosexuality. But that was not the case here. He was just a very, um, uh, the same way that Peter didn't have a filter about his mouth, John did not have a filter about how he behaved toward people. I, I often see my son when I think of John because my son has always been a cuddle bug. And um, I remember my son being like 12 and 13 years old and wrapping his arms around his youth pastor and just draping over his youth pastor. And his youth pastor was not a, a cuddly guy. He had a, he definitely had a bubble. <laughs> and I remember um, Madison just kind of so sweetly just draping his arms. Like he, he had walked up behind the youth pastor and they were all looking over the table at a game or something. And Madison just draped his arms around, uh, his youth pastor's shoulders and was leaning over his youth pastor's, you know, shoulder to see into the table. And I just saw that youth pastor just like stiffen up because <laughs> Matteo came into his bubble, but Matteo, all of his pictures growing up with the football team. He's got his arms draped all around his friends. He's just a very physical guy. And that is how I picture John the Baptist as well. It's this, this lack of a filter, this openness. They trust Jesus enough to be themselves. And that is why Jesus takes them into these more private moments. And, um, you know, again, I, I need you to read this chapter for yourself because I'm not going to read it word for word. But, um, you know, Peter, Peter, again, he's talking. He's the guy without the filter on his mouth. It's good for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles. 
And while Peter was still talking, a voice comes out of the cloud and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. This, this happened in John chapter three, verse 17 with John the Baptist, this exact same thing. And of course they had already come to this conclusion. We read about that conclusion yesterday. Peter said, you are Christ, the son of, you are the Christ, the the, uh, son of the living God. And, um, this was just that, that affirmation and confirmation for them. And, When the disciples heard that voice, they fell on their face and were afraid. Jesus came and touched them and said, arise, be not afraid. (laughs) There were a lot of things about this chapter that cracked me up today. You know, I, Jesus, I'm, I'm being, I'm stuttering around because I don't want to be critical of people who have spiritual experiences, but 90% of every really supernatural experience that we see in the Bible, the people who have the experience are told, be not afraid. Ezekiel, Daniel, Mary, here, they're like constantly told, don't be afraid. So when people have spiritual experiences and they talk about them and they have no fear about those spiritual experiences, I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm not saying I don't believe them. I'm saying I don't understand it because (laughs) they're constantly told, be not afraid. (laughs) That's so funny to me. And then um, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them saying, tell the vision to no man. So here's something to note. It's a vision. It was a vision that they had. It's very significant that um, all three of them had the same vision. Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. So again, Jesus, we saw yesterday how um, from this time forward, Jesus began to show his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things. And so he's just, you know, reiterating it. The Son of Man be risen from the dead. So he, he told them, I'm, I'm dying. This is happening. Um, which, you know, kind of makes Peter's guilt all the more real to us. Jesus had told him in a very private situation, what was going to happen. And, you know, Peter still denied him. And the, I love this. This is so neat. The disciples asked him saying, why then say the scribes that Elias must come first? Jesus answered, Elias truly shall come first. But I say unto you that Elias is come already. And they knew him not. And they're going to do the same with the son of man. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. When he, the scribes said Elias must come first. And Jesus said, Elias has come already. John came in the spirit of Elias. And I love this. I put exclamation points. I was so proud of the disciples. This is the first time he didn't have to explain the parable. (laughs) Yay! They're starting to get it. It's like the toddler starting to walk. Look at that. Yay! They didn't have to explain it. Uh, So Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy. Uh, this is something that I want us to to understand because I feel like 
um, apostolic people have have um, not engaged in this in this properly. Okay, um, so this. Let's see. I can't remember if it's a father or a mother bringing him a certain man. So this is a father bringing his son sore vexed oft times falleth into the fire and into the water. I brought him to thy disciples. They could not cure him. Um, this is actually something I dealt with. I don't know, two or three years ago. Oh, faithless and perverse generation. <laughs> the teacher having a long day at school. I'm telling you, this verse just cracked me up often. Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. <laughs> oh my goodness. Jesus is just fed up with this. He's like mad at them that they didn't get it. They didn't have faith on the water. They didn't have faith. They feed the multitude. How long am I going to have to put up with you people? The teacher is having a long day at work. And you know what? So let me tell you my personal experience with this. Um, I was in a, in a, I came to a very uh, frustrating place in my discipling of new people several years ago um, because they were at a certain point and I, I couldn't seem to get them beyond that. And um, so, you know, I was crying about that before the Lord. I was... I was, you know, not sure that I was doing a good job. I wasn't sure if I was teaching clear enough. I wasn't sure why I wasn't getting them forward. And um, specifically, they had not been filled with the Holy Ghost. And quite frankly, at Souls Harbor, I am very used to people getting the Holy Ghost almost before they even know what the Holy Ghost is. Like, it's very rare for, for people at Souls Harbor to go more than, than two or three weeks in a service and not be filled with the Holy Ghost. And I'd been teaching these people for over a year and they hadn't gotten the Holy Ghost. And so I was particularly crying before the Lord about that. And I truly felt the Lord have this tone of voice with me. <laughs> and he was, I just, I did. And he's like, Danae, like chill out here, girl. I was with my disciples for three and a half years before they got the Holy Ghost. Like, you haven't even been a full year yet. This was about month nine or ten. It's like, you've not even been a full year yet. And you're already like, oh, they haven't got the Holy Ghost. Now, of course, we know the disciples didn't get the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost was not yet given. But the Lord got his point across to me that it's okay if students take a while to learn. It's okay that it takes some students a while to learn. And I came out of that prayer session with this understanding, okay, every student gets three years out of me. Before I blow my top, every student gets three years out of me. So I did have another time, of course, like we all do, <laughs> where I came to the Lord crying again. I don't think I'm a good enough teacher. I'm not getting these disciples where they need to be. Oh God. I was crying about it. I was crying about it. And, uh, and I felt this like Danae, you know, I, 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 I only had three and a half years with them and then I, I was gone and the rest of the work was their pursuit of my spirit 
It wasn't me pursuing them to teach them. After three and a half years, it was after they were filled with the Holy Ghost, the disciples pursued the Spirit of God to grow and to learn. And um, and I, I just felt a, a comfort knowing that um, it's okay for me to get tired of and, and frustrated and confused that students are not learning. It's okay for that to be the case um, because I'm actually on the earth longer than Jesus is on the earth. And so I, there's a chance I, I need more patience. <laughs> not a chance. It's 100% the case. So anyway, I just love this. Jesus just blew his top. Oh, faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? And then this, bring him hither to me. I just see this, this voice. I hear this voice. Okay. And then Jesus rebuked the devil. It's a very simple process. He rebuked the devil. The devil departed out of him. The child was cured from that very hour. Okay. So I feel like apostolics who are willing to be engaged with the deliverance of, of a person from an evil spirit. There are two reasons why they are not, why it is not an easy process. I have in my life seen apostolic people spend hours upon hours and the people, th the people that are, you know, they're supposedly for deliverance, throw up, fall on the ground, throw people around, just, just create nonsense. And we do not see nonsense when Jesus has authority. This is that frustration. How long do I have to suffer you? How long shall I bring him, be with you? Bring him hither to me. There is no reason when a person is needing deliverance that it be an multiple hours of struggle, period. There's two reasons why it would not happen. One, because of our unbelief. Jesus said, because of your unbelief. When they said, why could not we cast him out? Because of your unbelief. Jesus said, I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, You'll say to a mountain, remove hence to yonder place. It shall remove. Nothing shall be impossible to you. This, we do, we do not ever, when somebody brings Jesus, someone possessed with the devil, we never see a struggle. We never see a show. We never see that nonsense. Never. When I was a child at Souls Harbor, um, a, a man came possessed with the devil. And um, my dad, who was pastor at the time, now he's bishop. Excuse me, I need a swig of coffee. Commenced to pray him for him. And there was this multi-hour standoff. This person that was possessed with the devil truly had a crazy kind of strength. Uh, and he was throwing around very strong, big men. And, um, it was just, they, they took all the children out. The church was much smaller then. 
Uh, they took all the children out over into another building so the children wouldn't be traumatized by this situation. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I was a child and, um, I remember this happening and, and he got deliverance and he went home, um, you know, got in the car properly and went home and, and, uh, in the middle of the night, my parents got a call and they had to go to his house in the middle of the night. He, he lived with his parents still. He was a teenager. His parents called my parents and they came over and that young man went home after all those hours, put on the music where he had deliberately invited the spirits into him in the first place. He, he went home and deliberately put that music back on and was then acting a fool at home. And so my parents had to take me to a babysitter and then they were at his house again all night. My dad came out of this situation saying, this is not appropriate. This, there, there is no reason why sending a devil out of a human, casting out a devil is drama. It's never drama in scripture. It's never drama in scripture. And so, um, the, the next service that that boy was not back, but his friend came to service and was on all fours in the aisle, howling and acting nonsense. And of course we all thought, oh boy, here we go again. My dad went back to him and said to him in his ear, you sit down on that pew and shut up. If you don't, I am calling the police. If you want deliverance, you come down to the altar and you repent like everybody else. And that man sat down in the pew and came to the altar and repented like everybody else. <laughs> no show, no drama. And we've not dealt with that nonsense at Souls Harbor since. It is ridiculous that we allow these, the devil that is, I believe devils actually possess someone, but what's nonsense is that we allow the devil to have his self a little show. Absolutely not. When we read about the man possessed with legions, that man came to Jesus, knelt down at his feet and worshiped. No one brought him no one forced him and the devils could not stop him. When a person wants deliverance, deliverance happens like that, like that. It is a simple matter of a, of a person needing to demonstrate they want deliverance and deliverance occurs. The only reason deliverance wouldn't occur those shows are nonsense. I will not engage in them anymore. I will not engage in them anymore. There's two reasons why deliverance wouldn't occur. The person praying for them doesn't actually have, doesn't actually have faith. They're scared while they're praying for them. They don't have authority. And if, if you don't have authority, if you don't understand your authority, then you're, you're not the one to be praying for them. And the other reason is this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Jesus was the only one of this group who had been praying and fasting. And so 
that is, that gave him an authority that they did not have because they, the disciples had not yet started, started, uh, well, they'd been praying, but, and fasting. Fasting is the word I want to point out here. So, all right, there's that. Um, and while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said, the son of man, oh, again, he tells them, I'm going to, I'm, you know, this is going to be happening. They're going to kill him. The third day he'll be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. He, he really did tell them multiple times that this was going to happen. I honestly, until I read so, uh, intently the book of Matthew, I didn't realize how often he did tell them this was going to be happening. And so then we come to something, we're going to end on something very unique. I discovered this a few years ago. Um, I just find it very interesting. So when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, doth not your master pay tribute? This is like taxes. Are they, does it, does your master pay taxes? He says, yes. And when he was come to the house, Jesus prevented him. Jesus stopped him because he wanted to have a conversation with Peter. And this is really cool because we see that Jesus had an opinion about politics. I don't know if we can say politics, but about government. Jesus had an opinion about government. Jesus' opinion about government is presented in question. What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? You know, in other words, the the uh, the, the citizens or the the people they've conquered that they are ruling. And in these days, it was of strangers. It was the people they had conquered that they took taxes from. It was not common in ancient time for them to charge taxes of their own citizens. But when they went and conquered another land, they took taxes of them. Peter says, strangers. Jesus said unto him, then are the children free. Notwithstanding, Jesus Jesus felt like because he was in Israel, that he was a child of Israel. He was a, and therefore he shouldn't be paying taxes. But notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast an hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. Take that and give that and give unto them for me and thee. So this is a cool miracle. Peter went fishing. And um, God provided money for these taxes. But I want us to know that Jesus properly worked within the law of the land. Even though it wasn't Jesus' opinion that, that he didn't like how it was operating. But he still properly worked within the law of the land. So that's, that's an important note to take from Jesus. Okay, there we go. Oh, good timing. Star's done. God bless you. I love you. Thank you for joining me today. I will not be doing this tomorrow. I'll see you guys Monday or Tuesday. God bless. Bye-bye.